Welcome to Discover Library and Archives Canada, your history, your documentary heritage. I'm your host, Angèle Alain. Join us as we showcase treasures from our vaults, guide you through our many services, and introduce you to the people who acquire, safeguard, and make known Canada's documentary heritage. Most Canadians are familiar with Canada's involvement in the First and Second World Wars, but did you know that many of the Canadian military files are available to the public? Each year on Remembrance Day, we reflect on the sacrifices made by our veterans in order to preserve our values and freedoms. What better way to acknowledge the sacrifices than to breathe life into the stories of those who have long since passed? Military files provide Canadians with an intimate account of the war experience through the life of one individual reminding us of the human cost of war. Since 2001, Library and Archives Canada has been working in cooperation with the Lest We Forget project founder, Blake Seward. The collaboration provides youth with the opportunity to work with Canada's military service files for both the First and the Second World War. Lest We Forget connects youth with Canada's military history allowing them to revive and bring to life the long-forgotten stories of our fallen men and women. Today we talk to project manager Kyle Brownis. He'll talk to us about the project, its pan-Canadian expansions, and how teachers, students, and Canadians can participate. Hi Kyle. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, no problem. Can you uh, tell us what the Lest We Forget project is all about? Well, you know, the Lest We Forget project is definitely a unique experience. So basically, I mean, high school students and their teachers, uh, they're looking at primary source documents, and we're talking about here our, our military service records at LAC. And they're basically exploring the lives of Canadian soldiers and nurses who were either involved in the First World War or who were killed in, in action in the Second World War. And uh, these workshops, of course, are open to all ages. This is usually grades 10 through 12. And you know, it's, it's really great because, I mean, we have workshops that are across the country right now, and we have a national network of partners. So there's a lot of options for teachers. And uh, what has been your involvement in the project? Well, when I started, I was uh, working on developing the collaborations with some of our partners. So we have collaborations now with the Canadian War Museum and with uh, public libraries across Canada. So you've really seen how the project has expanded over the years. Yeah, it's been really quite amazing. I, I know the, the project started back in 2001. And at the time, we were doing a lot of the workshops here at LEC. But, you know, there was a lot of Canadians that were that just couldn't make it. They couldn't make the trek out to Ottawa. So we found that also those that did come to Ottawa, a lot of them were actually joining their, their workshops here with the Canadian War Museum and a visit there. So we said, well, why don't we combine our workshop with what they're doing at the War Museum and have the workshops there? So that's what we did. We uh, set up a collaboration with the Canadian War Museum so we can have the workshops there and they can experience the soldier files with the artifacts from those wars. And you also mentioned working with public libraries? We really wanted to go national. So we had... Uh, collaborations with uh, public libraries in BC, Ontario, and Manitoba. And uh, in the second year of our collaboration expansion, I guess, um, we went to uh, Nova Scotia and Alberta and some more in Ontario and, and BC. And it was really exciting because you could have teachers coming to the public library to experience the lives of soldiers in their local community so they could really make a connection with the, those members. So the project has really taken a pan-Canadian approach. It's spread out, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really exciting because, I mean, the project is really about experiencing the lives of these soldiers and to be able to experience that firsthand for somebody you know who is living in your own community. 
that that's really uh, it's it's touching for a lot of people. And the other interesting thing is that a lot of these uh, soldiers, I mean, they were 18 years old. Some of them snuck in when they were like 16 or 17, and uh, they made major sacrifices. And they're about the same age of the students that are researching them. Here's Blake Seward, founder of the Less We Forget Project and recipient of numerous awards, including the Governor General's Award for Excellence in Teaching Canadian History. Blake speaks to us about the conception of the project and its effect on those who participate. I was at a, actually I was at a family reunion, and um, my uh, relative had asked me about uh, my great uncle and what I thought about my great uncle because he knew that I was uh, a history teacher, and I didn't know anything about my great uncle. And so I was a little bit uh, miffed at the idea that I didn't know anything about one of my relatives and uh, decided to do something about it. And as I was pouring through the files, uh, the military file of my great uncle, I, um, I came to the slow discovery that this would be something that would be a fascinating uh, endeavor for students uh, to do, uh, going through primary uh, documents to unravel the mystery of, of soldiers who could be found on, uh, on cenotaphs. As I started to do more and more research on my great uncle, uh, I just went down to my cenotaph and I took the names off the cenotaph and then I gave each one of the students uh, in my grade 10 history class uh, a name off the cenotaph. And we ordered the files and at that time, uh, back in 2001, uh, we actually had to come into Library and Archives here on Wellington and uh, we had the conference room booked and we were the uh, we were the first class to ever actually high school class to actually come in and look at the military files of these uh, soldiers that were from the cenotaph in Smith Falls and um, the result was one the students the students enjoyed the whole exercise of trying to unravel the mystery uh, and trying to make sense of what they were seeing inside these files. And from, from that experience, uh, there was more and more interest from library and archives in, um, uh, in trying to create something that could be used by schools uh, across the country. That's, that's one of the great secrets of library and archives. Uh, I've always been a believer that all roads lead to the archives uh, <laughs> in the sense that there's such a vast number of collections that are here that have such tremendous educational value. To allow young people to actually come in and just play around with these files in a respectful manner, but to, to try to piece everything together. Take somebody who, take a soldier who has been kind of committed to history. Their, their memory is gone, so uh, they've moved from memory to history. And it's to bring them back from history, uh, to bring them back to life. Let young people explore, create, develop the biography so that, so that the person, the soldier, actually becomes, again, part of our living memory. So students have the opportunity to write these soldiers' biographies like an essay? For myself, I, I like the idea of the students actually writing the essay, making sure that everything was, was to a standard where the essays could be used for publication. Um, and you are writing a chapter of history that, for the most part, has probably been long forgotten by the community, and for that matter, you know, probably by the country. 
Kyle, can you tell us what Library and Archives Canada is doing to make these military files more accessible? Well, you know, LEC has a great initiative underway right now called Digitization on Demand. And uh, I think this is really fantastic because basically if somebody orders a file that's not already available online, this digitized file then becomes part of the national collection on the website. And of course, digitization helps with both uh, preservation and access. So a big push was digitizing a lot of the files for the First World War and the Second World War. And right now we have, uh, it's, it's quite amazing actually, we have over 5,000 files for the First World War, soldiers of the First World War, and over 500 for uh, the Second World War for those killed in action. I should also mention that we're in the process of digitizing all 44,000 service files for uh, soldiers killed in action in the Second World War. And that's pretty amazing because, you know, for example, for the Second World War, some of those files are hundreds and hundreds of pages. So it's a real great resource for the students and for the teachers. Here's Caitlin Normandin, a personnel records clerk at Library and Archives Canada. She speaks to us about the wealth of information to be found in these files and why it's important to us today. The scope is astounding. Um, because in school you, you learn about the casualties that Canada suffered in World War II and it's one thing uh, to hear those numbers but it's an entirely different matter because then you realize there's a person behind that, those numbers who had a home and a family and hobbies and a distinct personality. When you're reading these files you feel a very deep connection with these people and they, it feels like you almost know them and they could be somebody that you know. And it seems it could be people that you like or would hang out with, and it's sort of a strange feeling. Um, and it's different for each of my coworkers. What we what sort of gets to us, and we sort of built up um, a thick skin to some of it. Otherwise, you just would go crazy. For instance, one of my coworkers has a little boy, and so the letters from mothers really um, hits hard. hits hard. Yeah. And for me, it's um, mothers and fathers uh, who never knew what happened to their son. They just went missing or there was no body recovered and mm -hmm. just they don't accept that that person is gone and they still believe he's alive and that always upsets me. I see that you brought a letter with you. Can you tell us a bit about that letter? Sure. Um, it's from a German fighter pilot written to the family of a man that was shot down um, by his wingmate and it was written to them after the war in 1947. 26th of March, 1947. To the assistant editor, wing commander, RAF VR. I must first apologize for writing in German, but my school day's English is not good enough to tell you all I want to say. This letter comes from my heart, and I can see no other way of sending you some information which will certainly be of interest to you, and will also perhaps bring a little pleasure to the people whom it concerns. Please be so kind, therefore, to have this letter translated and, and read it. I should naturally be glad of an answer. On the 20th, 20th of March, March 1943, between 15.23 and 15.45 hours, I was engaged in air combat with an RAF fighter off the south coast of Sicily, and I have never been able to forget it. My opponent was a remarkably brave man, and I experienced no feeling of triumph afterwards, but as though I had slain a friend. I will tell you how it happened. At the time I was stationed with my squadron at San Pietro, Sicily, I was a young lieutenant and had carried out my first operational flight in the autumn of 1942 in Africa. I was reckoned an old hand after I had taken part in the Africa campaign and I always flew in an ME-109G with a friend of my boyhood whom I had encountered in Africa. He too was a lieutenant and was 21 and I was 22. On the day in question the alert was given. The weather was very bad. 
We both took off at 15.23 hours and soon reached the coast and were glad to be out of the bad weather. We climbed higher and after five minutes flying time, we saw below us, at a height of about 500 to 300 meters, a single Spitfire who paid no attention to us. We saw at once that the pilot was circling above an air-sea rescue post, two to three kilometers from the enemy coast at this low altitude. Apparently one of his formation had crashed in the sea. Barron attacked at once, but the Spitfire got away so quickly that the attack was fruitless. I should explain that Barron had already 27 confirmed kills to his credit, and was on the way to becoming a great ace. The engagement went on like this for some time. I did not fire at the Spitfire, but covered my friend from the rear. The renowned maneuverability of the Spitfire stood our unknown enemy in good stead. He dodged every attack cleverly, constantly remaining 50 to 100 meters below us, following all our twists and dodges, and we put up a fine show. He did not think of drawing away and hiding himself in the clouds, which hung like a thick curtain before the coast, only one to two kilometers away. Fifteen minutes passed and we had received a few hits, but we could not catch up with him. The cockpit was hot, for we were flying with engines all out, and the pitiless sun hurt our eyes and we were tired. We were ready to break off the engagement as our fuel was getting short and we were wondering how we should get back to base. Just at this moment, however, the Spitfire managed to get behind us and we realized what we were up against. This was no novice, but a first-rate man who meant to settle this fight one way or the other. In the meantime, we had gradually drawn closer to the clouds. The Spitfire was at the same altitude and had a lead of 500 to 600 meters. Now we thought something will happen. The Spitfire could have vanished in the cloud, but he did not. Suddenly he came towards us, with the evident intention of shooting one of us down. A clever dodge. I was so surprised that I forgot to fire. But Baron fired a fraction of a second before the Spitfire pilot, who flew clean into the hail of fire and was almost certainly hit at once. The Spitfire passed 50 meters away from me, and I saw it breaking up. Out of control, it plunged into the sea without catching fire. The waves rose high, like a memorial which the unknown man himself erected as a token of parting with life. Then they swirled together and closed the gap made by the aircraft. Just afterwards, we flew over the point of crash at the height of only a few meters but no trace could be seen. Quiet and exhausted, we flew back to base after an unforgettable experience. Who could this man have been? How old was he? What did he look like? When Baron climbed out of his aircraft, he was very quiet and said little, only, come Heinz, get ready quickly. They will try to recover him. We shall have to take off again very soon. At the end of 10 minutes, we were in the air again and had to deal with our enemy's comrades, eight to 10 Spitfires. It was clear that they were missing their outstanding leader. We were under heavy fire, but we shot two down. War had its will, and we lived only from day to day. Years have passed, and I have never forgotten this man. Who mourned for him? What has become of Berend? On the 2nd of May of the same year, after 35 air victories, he was shot down into the Mediterranean, and his body lies in the same grave as that of his most valiant opponent. That was his hardest and greatest fight. I was shot down four days before Berend and was four days in the Mediterranean. I had to continue the fight on different fronts and was shot down more than once and shot others down. I was one of the few who returned home. We too, Berend and I were Austrians, but we were soldiers and did our duty. We should so much have liked to be friends with you and flown with you. Now to my request. Will you try to find out who this man was and will you drop this belated wreath from his former opponent on his watery grave? I suppose that the RAF presumes that this airman is missing, 
for I am the only witness of his combat who is still alive. Will you be so kind as to send on this letter to his parents or relations and friends? Perhaps one of the men of the RAF who was in his unit is still alive? I should be so glad if my wish could be fulfilled. I should not mind if my letter was published. I hope you will understand me as an airman and not take this letter amiss. I am not trying to curry favor and make myself important. My wish is prompted by my feelings. In conclusion, I should be glad of an answer, and I hope that those who love this outstanding pilot have, by my letter, been freed from a painful uncertainty. He was vanquished by no unworthy foe, for Baron II was a wonderful person. There are few of his equals in this world. This, however, is poor comfort. The grief for our opponent will be nonetheless bitter. Signed, Heinz. For a lot of people, they're trying to figure out a way to reconcile the person they were during the war with the person that they were going to be for the rest of their life and, and how they were going to deal with those experiences. And I'm guessing writing a letter like this is probably something that would help. And I think it would bring closure to that person and maybe to that person's family. I think many historians would agree that there are few events that have shaped a nation as much as the Second World War and as the Great War. Uh, so these events that have shaped our nation need to be constantly pushed out into the public uh, so that the public understands how that shaping occurred. Um, and, and again, it, it takes shape in different ways across the country. And I think the more that the students, students are actually exposed to the Second World War uh, files, the more they actually develop that significance an understanding of historical significance. They understand uh, historical perspective more from a national perspective, which I would argue would make it, as from a citizenship point of view, a fairly essential uh, piece to our Canadian history is that uh, we want active citizenship, and active citizenship comes from understanding our root system, and our root system is based on things that shape our nation. Developing an idea of of value systems and being able to compare and contrast value systems from from generations past to current to current values value systems and understanding why some values are the same and why some values are different um, and I think it's about the perspective piece I think that that is probably the most important thing that comes out of all of this and that is you only have a perspective if you can compare and contrast and perspective actually allows us to if from a Canadian history point of view, reach to the past and apply it to the present or apply what's in the present and reach to the past to create, to create an understanding for that. And I think that sifting through those Second World War files is one of the ways in which we can do it. We can also do it with many other of the collections that are held here. Uh, so one of the one of the interesting things uh, that have happened along the, the whole Lest We Forget journey has been uh, uh, we were being interviewed by uh, Mary Lou Finley uh, on As It Happens, and uh, the student Sierra was uh, talking to Mary Lou about uh, this, the soldier that she was researching, Stephen Arthur Mansfield, and how um, she was having a difficult time finding out any f information, uh, no relatives, didn't seem to be able to find any relatives and things like that. And the only thing that we really had to go by was... Uh, a really awkward shaped photograph. It was four inches wide by uh, 11 inches long. And it was, it was the only thing that we really had as our, as our starting point. And the day after we had been uh, interviewed on uh, As It Happens, 
um, we got a, I got a phone call in my classroom. And uh, the office secretary said, there's, there's some guy on the phone called. Uh, and I took the call, and he was, uh, he was on the road using his cell phone uh, back in the early days of the cell phones. And he said, uh, I was listening to As It Happens. I'm on my way from Montreal. That's my great uncle. I know nothing about him. Uh, I need to talk to the student. So we made an, uh, made an arrangement uh, at the high school for a room to be set aside, and the man arrived, and all he brought in was a little uh, uh, file folder, and uh, sat down, and for an hour and a half, uh, this gentleman and uh, Sierra, the student, uh, had a very emotional interview, lots of tears. Uh, uh, they were trying to piece things together. And inside the folder, at the end of it, he opened it up, and it was the other half of the photograph. It was their wedding photo. That's why it was, the photo was so awkward. And that when he had died seven days before the end of the war, uh, November 4th, 1918, um, as a newlywed, she had ripped the photo. And she moves to Montreal and leaves his half in Smith's Falls. And the reason why the photo was so awkward was that he was actually showcasing his wedding ring in the photo. And so uh, it was one of, those, uh, one of those moments when we pieced the two photos, the two halves together, and they fit perfectly. And uh, so all that we did was uh, uh, we took a, a scan of the, the, the two pieces now put together, and we gave him the other half of the photograph. And he was, he was so thankful that... Um, that a grade 10, 15-year-old student had done this. And for him, it just opened up all kinds of doors. I think it's important that these things be made available to the public because we try to, we say every year on Remembrance Day that we need to remember the sacrifice that was made and that we should you know, be eternally grateful for it. But I think that people don't really know what that means and you don't really know until you read about these individuals and realize there was a very human cost to the Second World War and Canada's involvement in that. And I think that it's, it should be required reading for people, um, especially if we're in a time of conflict, because you realize that it wasn't just with their death, it may have been the death of their own hopes and dreams and what they plan to do with their lives. But I mean, to a certain extent, there was a fallout that continues today. I mean, their families still live on. You know, people grew up without fathers. Their husband never came home. They lost their older brother or a sister. The Second World War, its impact still continues today. Like, there's a, there's a hole there that is never going to be filled. So... Kyle, I'm curious, if I'm a teacher in Winnipeg and I have a high school class and I want to participate in this project, what do I do? Where do I go? How do, how do I start? That's a good question. And, you know, there's a lot of options out there for teachers, but I think the easiest thing to do is first check out our website. So go to the Lest We Forget website at, at Library and Archives Canada. And from there, there's a lot of resources for them to, to choose from. Um, for example, there's a lot of digital files that are available for free. 
So if they just want to start out and just check out the file, see what's there, they can do that right away. Um, if they want to participate in a workshop with one of our partners, such as the Canadian War Museum or Public Library, then we can direct them to one of our partners there. And uh, if they just want to do the workshop themselves independently in their own classroom, they can do that as well. So this project can really be done independently. There's a number of digital files that they can download right away. There's also a whole trainer package that you can download for free, which includes uh, how-to videos on how to understand the files. Um, there's a trainer guide. There's a number of student hand handbooks. So it's fantastic. That's a lot of great resources if I'm a teacher. Yeah, and it's all free. That's great. Well, thanks a lot, Kyle, for being here today and talking to us about the Less We Forget project. Well, thank you. For people who are interested in the Less We Forget project or consulting military files from both the First and Second World Wars, please visit our website at www.collectionscanada.gc.ca slash cenotaph. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Angèle Alain, and you've been listening to Discover Library and Archives Canada, where Canadian history, literature, and culture await you. Special thanks to our guests today, Kyle Brownis, Blake Seward, and Caitlin Normandin. For more information about our podcast, or if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please visit us at collectionscanada.gc.ca slash podcasts. <laughs>